welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Amen. And Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that you don't send it and then forget about it, but you send it to achieve something, to accomplish something in our lives. You sow the Word like seed into our hearts. Help us to cultivate our hearts correctly so that we'd be good soil, that it would take root and produce a harvest in our lives for your glory. Help us to attend to the truth that is in your Word, that is different to other uh, things that we hear, so much news, so much white noise, so much fear, so much worry, so much information coming to us. But Lord, right here, we focus on truth. We focus on the purity and the clarity of your ways through your word. We pray for revelation in our hearts. Take a hold of what you have for us and we apply it to our lives for your glory. Thank you, God, you touch on all of us here. Our hearts and minds are tending to you. Amen. Okay, good. Have a seat. All right. Thank you, Musos. Praise the Lord. All right. So can we see this uh, title screen, Managing Money God's Way? So as you can see, um, we're going to talk about this uh, over the next few weeks, starting this series today, very practical series of teachings. following, um, well, as you can see, what the Bible teaches about how we should manage our money. Uh, actually, I want to show you another screen because um, blessing, this is, I think Eleanor came up with this one, but this is Blessing's uh, early on work <laughs> and uh, I just love it. It's just a cartoon, a pictorial, so basically this is the message. You know, this is a, just take a hold, take a photo of that, and then let's go and have coffee. So if you, can, if you can do that in your life, Jesus plus anything equals, woohoo, you know, life that will be okay. Don't you love that? A picture tells a thousand words. So thank you uh, for that screen uh, blessing. Um, but back to the other screen, um, you know, um, it's much more boring, really. It's, uh, but, but, I, but I want you to see... Uh, in that title, managing money, notice it doesn't say managing your money, because we'll, we'll get onto that, whose it really is, but God's way, uh, because you've got a choice as to how you deal with finances in your world, in your hands, because there's, there's many different ways of doing life. Um, but notice what the Lord says to us through the prophet Isaiah. You may know this um, passage, God prophesying back in uh, Isaiah 55 verse 8 through the prophet, and he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so this is so true in so many parts of life, isn't it? That there are ways of the world, ways that are natural, ways that come easy to us, but they're kind of lower ways. They're not higher ways. They're, 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 they're not as good as God's ways. His ways are, are better. And we do well to 
attend to what God's ways are rather than just follow what's easy. Like uh, in terms of um, marriage, you know, the, the normal way is to approach marriage in terms of personal happiness, pursuit of happiness. Oh, I'm going to find someone that makes me happy. And if there's romance, that's really cool and that's the basis of it all. And then if there's no romance or if I'm not happy, well, then surely that's the end of the marriage. And that's sadly how a lot of people deal with marriage relationships. But God's ways, whoa, are radically different, much higher, because he says marriage is an image of Christ and the church. And that that way for us to be married is not based just on how we're feeling, on our personal happiness, on whether the sparks and the romance is still there, but it's actually an opportunity to grow, to grow in love, to learn how to love. And of course, if anyone's been married for more than 10 minutes, you know, they'll know that, you know, there are some character challenges by living with someone. And that doesn't mean it's the end if you have a conflict or you're not happy. It's just the beginning of growth and learning what real love is and reflecting Christ's love for the church and building a family and raising children that, you know, makes the world a better place. And so there's so many other deeper and higher ways to look at that or other relationships you see, uh, you know, the, the natural ways that we operate uh, is that uh, there's a bit of a deal going on. I'll care for someone if they care for me. I'll be kind to someone. I'll be friendly to someone. I might even love someone if I feel that's reciprocated. Kind of a negotiation, an unwritten contract that's sort of in the air in a relationship. And, of course, Jesus came and said, well, I've got a much higher way than looking at relationships than that. You say, uh, oh, well, I, you, you, you love your friends but hate your enemies. Jesus said, no, 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 love everyone. I, I, I just want you to love everyone. Bless everyone. Bless those who persecute you, who spitefully use you. Pray for them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that, that's, a, that's a much higher way, isn't it? That's a way that will, that, that really builds bridges. That creates connection. That's that builds, wow, so much more than just playing our game of negotiating and staying distant if we're hurt from someone. And, wow, we need the Lord's help to, to, to live that way. And, and of course, that, that would make so much and does make so much difference in the world. Transformation that ends up being in communities, even nations can be changed because of that way of dealing with other people. And then, of course... You know, so many areas. Self-esteem, your self-image. The world says you are who you are because of what you do or how you look or the size of your bank account or the connections you have or your family background. And the Lord says, forget all that. You're just my child. I love you just the way you are. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you do for a living, where you've come from, what your address is, whatever. You're just a child of the king. God loves you. I'm in God's family. That's my identity. I'm a son of God. Wow doesn't matter anything you know and so there's all these ways that you can see in life that we get to choose am I going to go God's way or am I just going to go my way or the natural way or the world's way and to finances very much God's ways are different to the world's ways um, so that starting at money not even before we figure out what we do do with money it's really how we approach money the attitude we have towards money god has a way for us to approach it to think about money 
to, to have an attitude about money that is higher and different than what would be normal and natural. And I want to start the, today by talking about this, this attitude of stewardship because that is not the normal kind of way. Or at, attitude, excuse me, that, uh, that we might have naturally. And of course, stewardship is the belief that everything I have in my hands is not actually mine, but God's that I'm a steward or a caretaker, a servant of God, someone who's been entrusted to look after something that is someone else's. And uh, Jesus uh, tells us a parable to illustrate this that you may know, well known, if you want to look at Matthew 25. And he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, as opposed to the kingdoms of the world. So God's ways, again, different to the ways. We talk about kingdom principles God's kingdom principles or God's ways or values that are different to the world. So in that first verse, it is the kingdom of heaven. Again, it or the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, there's that word like entrusting to his servants or his stewards, his wealth to them. To one, he gave five Bags of gold. So this is the NIV and it uses the term bags of gold. Your traditional Bible, if you have one, might say talents because the um, talenton, Greek word, was a, a measure of weight. We get this word talent, which of course in English is it's got a cute double meaning, traditional weight measure, but also gifts, abilities, talents, right? But it basically a talent of gold was a weight that measured so much today that it would be worth about a million dollars for one of these bags of gold or one talent. So he gave five bags of gold or five million dollars roughly, right? To another he gave two bags or a couple of mil and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five and said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's a very cool principle, isn't it? When you're faithful with a little, you can be entrusted with more. So, you know, bosses know that. If you're an employee, you'll do well. If you're faithful, you'll get promoted. If you're a boss, you'll know who to promote because they're the ones that are faithful. And then he says, um, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, you entrusted me with two. I've gained two more. Master replies the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man received one bag of gold, said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So he's just off from the very beginning. He's got the wrong idea of the master, which is reflecting on people who having the wrong idea of God. How many people do you know, you're frustrated when you talk to them because their concept of God is skewed. It's like, oh no, maybe you had a bad experience. You just haven't encountered God. 
You just haven't had a revelation of who God really is. He's wonderful. He's awesome. He's the epitome of love and goodness. And you really do want to meet him. Oh, I don't know if he exists or if he does. He, why did he allow this to happen? And so people are very quick, like this guy, to, he says, oh, I know you were like this. It's like, well, you're wrong. So you thought and you thought wrong. But you say, I know. You know, so there's pride in there. Oh, I know God's like this or God isn't like that or God doesn't exist. It's like, you don't know anything. You know, and so... Uh, this guy, he's just in a bad frame of mind, isn't he? He's not humble. He's making assumptions about the master that are completely wrong. And, of course, he doesn't steal the money. He doesn't spend the money. He just buries it and doesn't do anything with it. And you think, oh, well, the master won't be that impressed. Not impressed. Look what he says. I was afraid. I went out. I hid you. Afraid? See? what you, you all, I, I hid you gold. But here, here's what belongs to you. Master replies, you wicked, lazy servant. Yikes. That's, that's sobering, isn't it? Not, oh, well, you're a bit of a bludger, but anyway, at least you gave me a bag of gold. Come on. No, no, you're wicked. You're lazy. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my name, put my money on deposit with the bankers. I could have returned and would have received it back with interest. So you could have done better. It's like every report card I had in primary school. <laughs> can do better. My only consolation was my eldest son had those kind of report cards too. And he's turned out all right. Um, the other son who, who Hudson called the golden child <laughs> never had those reports. <laughs> uh, Luke's not here, but the other three are and they're all rolling. Oh yeah, the golden child. Yeah. Well, Luke had his issues too. He just wasn't so loud about it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, we just found out after the event, years after the event, you know. Um, so isn't it interesting? It's wicked to not use what the master gave him, to not do something. And so that's very instructive for us, that we're here for more than just waiting till Friday and going to the beach. And, you know, there's, so that's where we're heading. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who had 10 bags, who has 10 bags, for whoever has will be given more, they will be, they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. Throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. So each servant was given money, but notice, even though they possessed the money, they didn't own the money. And this is stewardship, right? So the gold, it was in the hands of the servant, but it was always the property of the master. And so this is the issue of stewardship the understanding that everything I have is actually God's that that I might hang on to it for a while but he's actually entrusted it to me while I'm here on earth and that I'm really just a caretaker of it and so this is the attitude that a Christian should have towards everything towards money and material possessions and anything else any other resource that we have in our life and of course our society's ways are not these ways society says it's mine I earned it there's a little bit of golem in all of us you know the Lord of the Rings precious you know it's, it's possessive it's mine you're not taking it from me people say well you go to church oh they take money off you oh you're mad it's yours you earned it you hang on to it buddy you know and you and then every once a year there's Salvation Army Red Sheila bill it's 20 cents yeah whoa I did my bit oh you know and so that that is that's the ways of the world 
And it's very easy to slip into that way, isn't it? Very, you know, giving's good for us because it, it stretches, it's different, it's a higher way. And, um, and of course, you know, God's ways are good for us, but we've just got to have that, that trust, that faith that goes beyond listening to the, the selfish little golem creature inside. Um, it's a, God's ways, is, it has a longer uh, perspective on life. Basically says, look, I, you know, what do they say? You can't take it with you. So I'll use what I've got while I'm here, but I figure there's, there's more reward than what I can just get here and now. There's eternal rewards at stake. There's, there's this, this trust that I've been given. I, I better deal with this stuff properly in the short term that I, that I, that I have it. Um, and this has always been the way. Right from the beginning of creation, you read Genesis chapter 1, God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, right? The very next chapter, he creates a garden in a place called Eden. Incidentally, this property was originally called Eden Gardens. You might have seen, if you've been around for a long time, before we bought the property, many years, derelict, sign out the front, Eden Gardens. How cool is that? And so um, you read in chapter 2, it says God plants the garden, and then it says he placed, it's about verse 13, 14, 15 in chapter 2, it says he placed uh, Adam in the garden to care for it or to cultivate it or to look after it. It doesn't say to have it for his own. It was still God's, but he handed it over for Adam and Eve as stewards to use it, to enjoy it, to work in it, to enjoy the benefits of working in it and producing the the, the fruit and the veggies and all that was going on and the, and the beauty of it all. So they could have rewards for the work, they could enjoy it, but it was still God's. It's understanding that it's, it's still all God's. And, um, and you see this principle all throughout the Bible um, that, you know, we, we, we just can't afford to take credit for stuff that isn't ours or to, uh, for example, Moses... Uh, says in uh, Deuteronomy, when the Israelites have made it through the wilderness, 40 years, and they get to a place where, uh, you know, they're going to take over the promised land. And Moses says, just watch yourselves. Um, Just, and he's talking about how God fed them and looked after them and cared for them miraculously for those 40 years of wandering in the desert. And he says this, look, there it is, Deuteronomy 8, uh, 17 and 18. 17 and 18, you say, you may say to yourself, oh, my power, my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and to confirm his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. In other words, there's a purpose behind or in front of, there's a purpose involved in the money you earn and don't take too much credit for the money you earn because God gave you the ability. Just take a breath. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm only here because of his grace. And so give credit where credit's due, as they say. And God deserves all the credit. Yeah. Um, so back to this parable. You know, we often use this parable to help us understand how we are uh, make use of the talents, the gifts, the abilities, the opportunities we have in our life, which is very true. And that phrase, we all want to hear that phrase at the end of time, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the promise that awaits us if we commit our lives to Christ, walk 
sacrificially, servant-like, living for him, not just for ourselves. And so that's, that's very much the, the main understanding of the parable. But notice that Jesus actually uses money as the example of what is entrusted into their lives because we, we have a whole bunch of resources. Well, we have, you know, what do they say? Time, talent, treasure. That sums up the kind of resources you have in your life. But don't forget the treasure. That's what we're thinking about today. There actually is an application of this parable in terms of using finances, using the money. And Jesus did talk quite a lot about money. So we shouldn't be, a, you know, people sometimes get thingy in church, money, you know, as if like we're just things will magically pay for themselves and that God doesn't really care or know anything about our money. It's very much a part of our worship. And again, when you read the Bible, you see God, he could have produced the tabernacle, given them a temple, miraculously just popped church buildings up all over the world. No, no, God wants people to use money as part of their walk of worship with him to contribute and, and create and make things. So right through, he said, I want you guys to have an offering to bring in the stuff to make the tabernacle and then I want money to... And it's not like God's trying to get under your skin and, and bother you. That's the devil that gets in our head and says, oh, you know, as if, you know, the churches are evil. And sure, there's been some one or two issues with the church in the last couple of thousand years. May have been a man of God that might have made a couple of mistakes. You know, there has been... Of course, there's institutional terrible stuff that's gone on but the Lord's motivation is it's good for us to give it's actually part of our worship towards him and we just got to make sure we don't let the the fears and the stuff that's gone on and institutional craziness sort of get in the forefront of our mind and stop us from worshiping God this way and so God's always wanted us to deal with money his way because you're going to deal with it anyway you know, it's not like we have our Christian life where we don't talk about money and then we have our normal world where we're dealing with money all the time. God says, no, 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 it's just part of natural life. So we should talk about it as part of the full gospel and understanding of Scripture. So as I said, Jesus, he told uh, 38 parables in the four gospel accounts, uh, actually none in John, in the first three synoptic gospels, but 13, that's a third of them, deal with money and possessions, material stuff. And so Jesus had no problems talking about how we should handle money and material stuff. Um, and you could say, as some people have said, um, Jesus dealt with money matters because Jesus knows that money matters. Ba-boom. Um, you like that? So, um, so three principles of stewardship that we see in this parable. Right? The first one is ability. And you might have noticed that word, each servant according to their ability. So... We have to happily accept our position, our lot, our ability that has been given to us by God. There's no point worrying and stressing and comparing uh, to others or being jealous of other people. You, you, you know, we have a, a certain, each of us, certain natural ability, circumstances, background, opportunity, you know. What did the who sing? I was born with a plastic spoon in my mouth. You know, um, as opposed to Silver Spoon, there's different. Um, well, come on, tell me you've never heard that song. Come on, come on, I'm going to get up and sing it if you're not careful. Where's Pete? Come on, The Who. Some, you young people, go home and do your research and watch The Who. Do as your great rock band. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, so you're not too young for classic rock from the 60s and the 70s. It's, I'm going to change the church constitution. I'm going, to, I'm going to make it, you know, unless you can rattle off five top bands from the 70s and admit that that is the era of great music. <laughs> Beethoven, fine, he was all right, but really, you know, we're talking. Um, so uh, back to the Bible. Um, so you look, you, you, you're never going to trade places with anyone else. It's, you know, you can't. So there's no point. It's not like, and you can't, you're right, your life, time's moving on. This is it. You can't go back either. It's not like a podcast where you just sort of, you know, I'd miss that and press the button that goes back 15 seconds or drag the little slider and start the message or fast forward or you, you can't, you were just, time's moving, this is it, you can't change places. The grass isn't greener on the other side as they say, you just do your best and carry on. And so we've all got different careers, opportunities and we just have to make the best that we can. And let's face it, some people like the guy with five talents in this or five bags of gold in this story, some people... They just seem to have the Midas touch, don't they? They just seem to land on their feet. They're just, you know, they just make money. It doesn't matter what they do. You know, that business collapses. Oh, what do you know? Door opens and we just segue into another thing. They turn lemons into lemonade, you know, and they, they just go through life. And, and they're often they're entrepreneurial, creative types, but they're also very industrious. Because if you have one without the other, you can have a creative who never does anything. You know, they go, oh, I've got ideas and I think that I should do this and this is a great thing. Well, that's good, but they don't get around to it. They just get so many ideas all over the shop. And other people are very industrious and they just work for the man. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. So they, you know, work in a way, work hard, get paid, good wage, good. But every now and then you see these people who are super hardworking and creative and then, wow, you know, look what happens. You might have seen this photo doing the rounds in social media this week. Uh of a guy in a garage taken back in 1994 and there is a guy starting his little business as many businesses have begun in a garage just him and his family uh, and that guy uh, is his name is Jeff Bezos uh, who you may know founded and there it is Amazon back in 1994 it was just an online bookstore but being the entrepreneurial type he saw how the internet was growing at a rapid rate and the opportunities that were beyond just selling books to selling everything to everyone all over the world and so having started in 1994 by 1997 he became a millionaire in three years that's a pretty good business growth um, because his company got floated on the stock exchange and then get this Two more years later, 1999, he was a billionaire. He was worth $10 billion in just two years. And it hasn't stopped. As you probably know, he's worth hundreds of billions of dollars. You just can't fathom, you know. Ah, or perhaps this week you've read about this guy, Salvatore Garou. This is entrepreneurial. I haven't got a photo of him, but you can, he's just a, I saw photos of him, he just doesn't smile. He's an artist. Life is too deep to smile. He's Italian too, very passionate. So this guy put an artwork up for auction. Did you hear about this? It's an invisible sculpture. 
I mean, this is just too good. I'm going to try and keep a straight face and say, modern art, it's great. Push the boundaries. It's really good for you. Interesting. Music. I'm one of those Neanderthals that just go, that's not art. That's stupid. You know, I try. I honestly try. I've been to the Museum of Contemporary Art so many times. I, I, I really try. I do. I try. I loved it when Keelan was little. We took him along and there's this... It's called, I think it's called Black on Black or White on White. It's in the Museum of Contemporary Art. There's this big white painting. And these two guys are studying it and looking at it. And, you know, Keelan goes up and goes, anybody could have done that. And then walks away. And they're like, oh, well, you know. And uh, I'm like, Keelan, shh, quiet. Uh, so this guy, uh, he's not made anything physical, but he is... Um, in his words, it's a work that asks you to activate the power of the imagination. He explains further, you'll love this, the vacuum is nothing more than a space full of energy. And even if we empty it and there is nothing left, according to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, that nothing has a weight. Therefore, it has energy that is condensed and transformed into particles, that is, into us. So you have to stand there with a glass of Sablonc and, and sort of pretend to understand and look knowledgeable. Yes, yes. But then it goes for auction. So what would you pay for this work? Well, some, idi- I mean, some investor uh, paid over 23000 Australian dollars for it. <laughs> and they, they received a certificate of authenticity. This is a true story. They received instructions... And it says that the work must be exhibited in a... <laughs> in a private house. It must be exhibited in a private house in roughly two by two metre space, free of obstruction. Don't walk there. It's an artwork. Don't, between the kitchen and the door. No, so don't, that's the artwork. Oh, wow. We could have... Anyway, I could... So... Hey, you could say that's mad, but it's pretty creative. Entrepreneurial. He's $23,000 richer. All right. I know what I'm going to try and do if I lose my day job. I'm going to become an artist and start selling invisible art. Anyway, look, um, maybe, you, maybe you grasp more than I do. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant of what art is anyway. But look, hey, he's certainly a five-talent kind of guy. You know, because he's, he's like Jeff Bezos, you know, the, in terms of this parable. But notice, ah, the, the one with two talents gets to hear the same words from the master. So as I said, ability, you're better off just accepting your ability, not worrying about the five talent people. If you're a two, ta- be a two talent person and just say, oh, okay, well, I've got these. Maybe you're a five-talent person. Knock yourself out. Make millions of dollars. Pay off the building fund. Great. But, you know, uh, billions of dollars. It's possible. Look at the internet. But, but a two-talent person doesn't get hung up about the five-talent person. He ends up getting the same reward, which gets on to my next point, which is not just ability, but responsibility, because we have been given responsibility to use our ability before God. And so regardless, again, of our circumstances or our bank balance or our natural abilities, we're called to actually do something that we have, what we have in life. And as I said, time, talent, treasure, every resource you've got. And notice the guy with one bag of gold, I've already mentioned him, he, he really, he missed it because he still had a million bucks. He was still entrusted to do something with it 
and he was irresponsible. He didn't do anything. He didn't take advantage of the opportunities given to him. And all of us have been given the opportunity to do something with all the resources that we have to make society better, to bring glory to God, to bless other people. And again, with money, money's a good tool. It's, it's not evil. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So we shouldn't be afraid of money. We should approach it the right way, have the right attitude, and then use it and be responsible with it. And then you can really bless people. You can build the church. You can support good charities. You can help people in need. Um, and so it's a very useful tool when it's used well. And, um, and, you know, when I have an awareness that I'm responsible before God for the money that I have in my hands, then it helps me have other good godly attitudes. It'll help you approach other things the right way and lead to good behaviours in life. In other words, you'll have a good work ethic because you think, well, I, I really should do something with my life and the ability that I have and the opportunity to, to earn money. And then that leads to thinking carefully about how you spend the money, how you invest the money so you don't waste it and you don't just blow it and you know, you, you, you're, you're honourable with your money. You pay your taxes. You pay your bills on time. You have a good reputation. All that kind of stuff. You avoid debt. And so all that is part of being responsible, which leads to the third principle, which is being accountable. So we have ability. We've got responsibility. But we also have this issue as stewards of being uh, of accountability, standing before God one day like these servants did before the master. And they had to give an account. What did you do? And, um, and we'll also be accountable how we lived our lives, you know, with the gifts that we've been given, with the opportunities and with the money. And, uh, you know, when you catch that spirit of stewardship, it's not scary, it's sobering, but it's really cool because it does keep you, well, keep you on your toes perhaps sounds a little edgy, a little like, you know, God's out to bash you if you get it wrong. He's very gracious, but uh, he has entrusted us and, um, and so, you know, when we do the right thing, we, we end up, you don't have to chase blessing, I've found. And we heard Mitch and Leah talking about this this morning, that God is faithful. You know, he is Jehovah Jireh. He provides. And so when we are aware that we, you know, when we're responsible and we're aware that we're going to stand before God for how we use, then we trust him, we serve him, and the blessing of God follows us. The blessing of God comes and meets all our needs according to his riches in glory, you know? And so you can have plenty of money without the money having you. You can just use it wisely, yeah? You can experience provision without being distracted from the call of God. You just have God looking after you. And you can have what we like to say prosperity with purpose, right? Prosperity's been given a bad rap. For, uh, you know, wow, you know, some of the American preachers, televangelists, you know, all that, so people, prosperity doctrine, all that. But prosperity is a Bible word. It's not a bad word. It just needs to be hitched up to God so that we're, we've got purpose behind it. We're not just lining our pockets, we're using our finances. And what do they say? Blessed to be a blessing. It's a cliche, but it's a really cool principle to live by. To appreciate, oh, yeah, I'm blessed. Mine, mine. No, no, I'm not going to hang on. I'm blessed to be a blessing. 
Yeah? And the more I have, the more I can do with it. And the more I can bless people and build the kingdom and, and use it for good purposes, for higher ways. Yeah? And, um, and so, you know, from Ruth and myself, right through our whole marriage, we've experienced this blessing whenever we've made decisions based on being stewards. And I'll finish with this just to say just a little anecdote way back when we first got married. Whenever we've been willing to make sacrifices and say, uh, look, let's direct our finances to what will bless God rather than bless us, then he's always found a way to bring blessing that we couldn't have even conjured up and earned and got ourselves. So, for example, when we first got married, um, we, we dreamt of going to Europe, having a big, you know, the big European holiday because Ruth had lived in Denmark as an exchange student for a whole year. And she used to say, oh, I'd love to show you this cute little town I've been in, you know, and we could see other parts of Europe. I was born in England, but I hadn't been back. I came to Australia when I was like nine months old. And uh, we thought, oh, that'd be great. But, you know, it was going to be expensive and uh, we wanted to serve God and contribute. And, oh, that's right. And so we figured out, this is in the late 80s, early 90s, we figured we needed 10 grand to make it happen. And then we just thought... We haven't got 10 grand. But we could really work hard. We could focus. We could save, get the 10 grand, make the European holiday. And then our church was involved in a big building fund, which is now Oxford Falls. But before then, they were in a rented warehouse in Brookvale. And we contributed and pledged 10 grand to that instead of the European holiday. We thought, okay, well, there's $10,000. But it's very much going to God. And it took us some years to pay it off. We were on, you know, modest wages. And then... We get called to serve God as missionaries. We're like, righto, we've given it all up and we're going to Russia on a very basic support package from our mother church. And so we weren't going to starve, but we, you know, weren't rolling in it. And, uh, and we were giving, you know, money out into Russia from what we were getting. We put a Bible uh, and a copy of Josh McDowell's More Than a Carpenter book in every school all around St. Petersburg and ran a Bible college and subsidised all the costs of the students and all that. Well, along the way, while we are in Russia, we got a little Russian Lada Neva, a little car, and we figured we had to do all our banking in Finland. So we used to drive over the border. Russian banks were all scary. The mafia would figure out who had foreign accounts and come and knock the door down and steal and kill and rob and destroy. Very scriptural. Um, and, um, and so we did all our mail, all our banking, um, back in, uh, you know, in, in Finland. We'd drive over the border, and then we realised, hang on a minute, we could catch a ferry from Helsinki over to Stockholm and then drive across Sweden, have a look at Norway, drive over and catch another ferry, go to Denmark. We could do the tour of Scandinavia, and off we did. And we had these two little munchkins sitting in the back in the larder and, uh, you know, getting stopped every now and then because we had Russian number plates. The Finns don't like the Russians, long story, but, you know... And so the police came, woo, 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 oh, they're after someone. What do you mean? They're stopping next to me. They're all like, show us your passports. Finn speaking Russian, wanting to see my passport. What do you mean? I'm like, what are you speaking Russian? Oh, the plates. I'm Australian. Here, passport. Kangaroo. Oh, okay, off you go. Yeah, it's all good. You know, Australian passport is the best thing. The kangaroo on the front. No one's angry at a kangaroo. It's so cool. Um, I've had Russian border guards built like man mountains about to, a kangaroo and a baby. You bring a baby, you go, and you plonk them on there, and they're like, yeah, passport, pajolsta. Oh, mommy, God, yeah, but she's got, okay, come right through. Yeah, it's okay. It's so cool. Anyway, so we end up driving around, we call it the tours of 
Scandinavian playgrounds because these guys wouldn't last very long. Hudson would be tearing that little larder apart. So we'd pull into a city and it's like, right, baby, you've got one hour. I'll mind the kids in the playground and check out Stockholm. Go. Your time starts now. You know, and so, but it was better than nothing. And then we end up, and I remember pulling into the driveway of the house we were going to stay in this cute little town, Cebu, in Denmark, where Ruth had lived these years earlier. And we're like, Lord, this is the European holiday that we didn't make happen ourselves and didn't save and focus for and you've just given it to us because we're living only a couple hundred kilometers away and you know we just figured out the ferries and it wasn't expensive and and God just blessed us you know because we were being responsible using our abilities being accountable before him and he blesses us this is a little anecdote and I'm sure you've got stories like that when you followed the Lord and said God it's yours it's not mine I'll just use what I have for your glory and he'll say great I'll bless you now. I can bless you wherever you go. Amen? Come on, let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.